right, all right. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast, big guy. 28th episode underway, and we are almost in year 2022, which hopefully will be much better than the one we had this year across the board. This will be the last episode of 2021, and for starters, I have to tell you that I was hit by the cold last week, so if I sound a bit weird, that's exactly the reason why, because my nose is still somewhat clogged as we speak. And before you ask, it wasn't it. I tested negative, so ease up, bud. Wasn't forced to any protocols like players in the NHL. Also, that is the reason why this episode got postponed a bit, so I'm sorry for that as well. Unfortunately, also I have to tell you that we are not going to see similar firepower on display this week, as I will take the sole possession of this podcast once again. But I have to admit that it was very refreshing to include someone else to this podcast, and especially a guy that wasn't afraid to be the one leading the conversation. As mentioned, last week we had a tremendous guest visiting this podcast, so if you have absolutely no idea what I'm currently talking about, make sure to go to listen to that one, because it was an absolute treat to speak with my buddy Immi Niskanen, who became the first guest of this podcast. This week though, we will quickly dive into UFC 269 events, where we saw one of the biggest upsets of 2021. Then I will give my take on the Olympics regarding the NHL players, and finally, we take a close look at the U20 World Championships, which already started this week, and comment on the ongoing situation regarding the quarantines and all that jazz. So hopefully you've enjoyed your Christmas break, and this episode will bring you some entertainment before we head to the new year, because at least I'm ready to start another chapter on my journey. And so should you. With all that said, I think we are ready to move on to our episode. So without further ado, let's get going. Come on, Tiger. We are back in business big time. We will start this episode with some UFC. I know, I know. I hear all the boos already, but let's just get through it. Since there were two belts on the line a couple weeks back, and we saw probably the biggest upset of the 2021 campaign during that exact event. In the prelims, Andre Muniz continued his convincing streak as he made middleweight Eric Anders tap in the early first round, and the armbar he executed was very similar to one in his previous fight, and the guy has now three consecutive armbar submission victories in his past three fights. He will most likely start to creep his way into top 15 conversation, and the Brazilian submission specialist could be the next name in the middleweight rankings with the way he's been performing. Ossi Tai Tuivasa also continued his winning streak as he knocked out Augusto Sakai out cold in the second round, and is also on his way to the top 15 heavyweights with his recent dominant performances. Then in the Bantamweight division, number 8 ranked veteran Dominic Cruz beat 9 ranked Pedro Munoz by decision and the former champ showed his nature once again during the fight as it was close to being called in the first round when Munoz caught Cruz with a heavy punch which put the veteran looking for his contact lenses from the canvas. He fought his way back to victory though, and continued his reign as one of the future Hall of Famers in the division. After that bout, we saw an absolute fireworks show in the featherweight division, as Josh Emmett and Dan Ige took it to full time in their fiery striking contest. Number 7 ranked Emmett won the fight with unanimous decision, but the contest was overall much more even than what the scorecards told after the fight. So as you can see, pretty good fights in the prelims already, and the main card didn't leave anyone cold either. Not one bit. 
In the first main card bout, once again, we saw the entertainer Sugar Sean O'Malley in the octagon. And the fight went pretty much the same way as his previous ones, which eventually ended in a first round TKO for O'Malley. Hopefully he's now done dealing with the local plumbers and electricians and ready to take on an actual top contender because even though I respect the fact that he wants to hone out his game to a T before stepping into the shark tank with the elites of the weight class, it should be part of the journey. Just stop worrying about your goddamn record, bro. We need to start seeing him fight against real contenders because so far... He's been running through no names and the only loss he has on his record has come against a real contender in the weight class. No offense to anyone he's beat so far. So next year I fully believe that we will see him against a top 15 name and we better witness that. Or otherwise the sugar show should be cancelled and moved from national TV to YouTube platform. Simple as that. And no... Of course not the way these social justice warriors do it nowadays on Twitter. You hopefully get what I mean. Not much to say about the fight itself, but now, seriously, some tougher competition. Enough of this easy mode shit. Then in the next fight, Cody Garbrand made his flyweight debut, but it didn't end up being as miraculous as one would have expected. He got knocked out again. And it is unfortunately looking like his best days are behind him, which is fully understandable. He has lots of miles behind him and even though he thought that he could rejuvenate himself in a lighter weight class, modern day fighters are so much more sophisticated. Each one packs heck of a punch and the guys are trained to their limits. So if you expect to exceed in another weight class, you have to be an extraordinary talent. And this time, the reality hit Cody in the face hard. No pun intended. Kaikara Franz looked extremely solid and I'm more than sure that he's ready to take his spot in the top 5 and face one of the meanest men in the weight class. Moreno and Figueredo will go at it in the UFC 270 in January, so then we could see who the Kiwi will face next on his way to the top of the division. Unfortunate scenes for Garbrandt, but you have to give credit to Kai for his sovereign performance. In the last non-main event bout, Geoff Neal and Santiago Bonzinibio went at it for three rounds in a crueling scrap until the 12th ranked Texas native's hand was raised to clarify the winner. This fight was a full clip battle and it seemed like both guys were only one strike away from a KO victory at times, but we got to enjoy it for full three rounds, which was the good part, until the winner was crowned. Crueling scrap between these two, but to be completely honest, not as entertaining as the many previous ones on this card. But then, to the white whale, the co-main event, Amanda Lioness Nunez versus Juliana Peña. Did anyone think that this was going to be anything else than a cakewalk for Nunez? Absolutely not. Well, maybe Peñas can, but other than that, no way whatsoever. Or if you did, please escort yourself out from the nearest exit sign. Please and thank you. Since Nunez had beat women who had won Peña in the past and this seemed like another fight that was just forced upon her strictly because she holds two division titles. And I have to be honest when I say that I wasn't looking forward to this fight purely because Amanda has been such a dominant force in two different weight classes for years now and this was the division title which was meant to be the easier to defend. But boy, oh boy, was I seriously wrong. Right from the get-go, Peña somewhat shocked Nunez with a straight. And to me, it looked like Amanda noticed that, okay, this girl had something to offer for once. And it kind of started this motion of Nunez wanting to prove her dominance while standing up. 
They started to exchange in the stand-up and technically the lioness threw her book out of the window right as they started to exchange combinations and hard punches. And it looked like Amanda trusted her gin and was willing to put her body on the line to prove that she was the champion, no matter how much she had to pay for it. But it ended up backfiring in a big way in this specific fight. They threw hands for almost two rounds and Peña rocked Nunez a couple of times pretty badly, but Amanda wasn't willing to go down easily. But her stand-up started to look really sluggish and she just wanted to connect with each punch while Peña started to use these exchanges to her advantage. And even though you could see Amanda's power during these exchanges, Peña wasn't willing to quit either. And a few moments later, the lioness took the fight to the ground, where Peña was able to escape from the grappling exchange, took her back and finished the fight with a rear naked choke. End of chapter. This was a big, big shock to the MMA family and... To me it looked like Amanda's confidence and past took over her game plan, which enabled Peña to surface as the winner from this tilt. Don't get me wrong, Peña did eat a lot of big shots, but so did Amanda, and this time Juliana Peña was just that much better to be crowned as the new women's bantamweight champion of the world. Huge congratulations to her, and I'm more than sure that Núñez will make her comeback, and come knocking on her door in no time. There's zero doubt about it. And lastly, I have a serious question for you. Is the new champ a smoke show or what? I mean, she would be simultaneous Miss America slash Venezuela and the Queen of Bantamweights if I was the ref. And it wouldn't even be a close contest. God damn mama. And thank me for the tip on your next Google search. Keep the change. Oh yeah, the main event. Got a bit carried away, please forgive me. It was Dustin Diamond Poirier versus the champ Charles Oliveira. And even how big of a Diamond fan I am, I have to tip my cap to Oliveira because that guy is a straight up killer, plain and simple. He has all kinds of things up in his toolbox and he showed once again why he is the champ in this weight class. The first round was a full on brawl and it looked like Poirier was going to finally grab the belt that he's been chasing for years when he rocked Oliveira with solid punches but as we've seen in the past, you have to kill the beast right there and then or the chance blows by you really fast. And this was the case in this fight once again. When the octagon door closed for the second round, the fight turned around and the champ took over the events on the mat. Oliveira's grappling is so fun to watch and even though Poirier is a world-class wrestler, he wasn't a match to this BJJ master in this fight. Dustin rocked him with solid strikes in the first two rounds but couldn't put an end to the fight so... Once the champ had recovered from those few blows, the storm was headed the other way in the octagon. Oliveira can stand with the best of them, but he is most lethal on the ground and a constant threat, so he took advantage of his skills and once he gets his forearm around your neck, the choice pretty much is between two things. Do you go night-night or tap out before you black out? Poirier was about to face that decision in the third round. And you don't see everyday guys going for rear naked chokes while standing up. But this is one of the aces Oliveira uses quite regularly in his fights. And once again, it paid out. He got Poirier's back and very soon after Diamond had to tap out and let his dream slip away one more time. Oliveira had defended his title successfully and Dustin had another battle in front of him to climb back to the top to take another blow at the lightweight gold. Last time it was Habib and now Oliveira so how much more he has to give before he bows to the octagon and leaves his farewells for the audience. We just have to wait and see. I'm sure that Poirier will make his comeback but 
He has to find a key to unlock that one missing gear if he ever wants to become more than an interim champ of the division. This was an amazing fight to watch and I'm very excited to see what they have in store for Oliveira next. Most likely it is going to be Justin Gaethje since Mahachev and Benel Dariush will match up in February but you never know what happens in the next few months. For sure he has a line waiting for him to accept invitations to balls from these killers, no doubt about it, but who gets the next chance is a question I'm more than eager to hear the answer to. And oh yeah, before we move on from the UFC, last weekend we saw a surprisingly electrifying card in UFC fight night where Cobb Swanson, Mateusz Kamrat, Ricky Simone, Belal Muhammad and Derek Lewis put on a show. Gamrot and Simon will become regular names next year, I'm more than sure of that. And Muhammad took care of business against Wonderboy, so he is headed towards the top 5 scene as well. And you could probably guess that the Black Beast got himself another KO, so I don't even need to mention that. If you want to watch some intense battles, go check that one out as well, because... It went under the radar for many, but had some really rugged matchups, nevertheless. But that's all from the UFC, and we can make our way back to the hockey world, where we've received some negative news in the past couple of weeks. But the silver lining here is that the U20 World Championship started this week in Edmonton, so hopefully we get to see some actual hockey in the coming weeks, and we can have an exciting start to the new year. But let's see what we got in store this week. Before we head to World Junior Talk, I need to address the fact that the NHL players won't be attending the Beijing Olympics next year either, as you probably know by now. And once players started to stack up in COVID protocols, it was only a matter of time when the NHLPA and IIHF pulled the plug on that competition and announced the unfortunate fact to the public. It is extremely disappointing and I'm sure that hockey fans around the globe are as heartbroken as I am but the circumstances just are what they are and I fully understand that the league wants to keep their players safe and the possible quarantines in China were just too harsh so I get why they pulled out from this one. But to be fair there is always a lot of money involved in these decisions and this is almost a yearly debate if the players should even attend the Olympics in the first place, since there is a real chance of injuries happening in those games and since the players don't represent their teams in that tournament, the effect might end up being even bigger for the organization, money-wise as well as performance-wise. Hate or love him, but Brad Marchand gave his honest opinion on this topic and told that once they were negotiating the current CPA contract, there was a huge argument about Olympic participation and I have to agree with his statement that the league is a business after all and those competitions don't bring any additional dollars to the table besides some global recognition when it comes to the sport. My honest opinion is that players should attend the Olympics every time they can because those events are for some once-in-a-lifetime moments and players are only able to attend every four years if they are selected. So to me it is a home run decision, but unfortunately I'm not the one responsible for these decisions. And if they are going to blue ball the NHL players with these decisions, the World Cup of Hockey should at least be a thing on a constant basis, even though it is not that close to Olympic representation in a large scale. Would be something to fight for, but as some have already been suggesting, I don't support the idea of having them during the summer since the hockey season is extremely demanding and long as it is, so adding few more games to players who play 82 game seasons plus possible playoffs, it just seems unnecessary to me. Either the season should be shortened, or every two years, for example, the All-Star break should be replaced with the World Cup of Hockey. And they could either reschedule a few games from that time period or just basically replace the missing players with AHL players 
as they are doing on a regular basis already. So it wouldn't be a huge change in the wide spectrum either. But at the end of the day, it's a totally different situation when some players wouldn't be able to represent their country. So I wouldn't even compare these two to each other, but at least these guys would have something different. Nevertheless, big thumbs down for this situation, but we just have to live with it when we know what the consequences for participation could have been. NHL also postponed its games due to virus spread and Stevie Y gave a really nice comment on this matter, where he questioned the decision to place each player to the protocol which takes them out for weeks, even without any symptoms. Now the NHL shortened the guarantee period from 10 days to 5, but it's a real concern for the league. And if this continues, which I fully believe is the case, we are either not going to see any fans in the stands once again, and the season will be halted for a while once the situation in North America gets better again, or the league starts to operate normally, and the players that have major symptoms are placed in the protocols, because currently they are starting to run out of players. And the same thing occurs in the A as well, so do you start to promote beer leaguers to your roster? I don't think that would be the case, but either way, those are the paths that I could see the NHL taking in 2022, because the current arrangement won't fly, that's for sure. The U20s are also a big question mark with 50% attendance, but I just can't see a fully operated tournament without any friction with the way things have been going up north. Hopefully we get through this mess and can start to focus on things that really add value to our lives, because currently it seems as every little piece of enjoyment we've received through struggle gets taken from us right as we start to get used to normal routines and enjoy our lives. But we just have to keep going, there are no certainties in the future, so we have to focus on the moment and enjoy every little piece of life we have, because no one can predict the future. I think that is a good segue into World Juniors, as these young bucks are in the early parts of their professional careers, and for me, at least, it is one of the best times in the whole annual calendar season, so next up... The main topic, some U20 World Championship analysis. Let's get to it. Well, well, well. It has already begun and boy do I love seeing these young phenoms in action. Of course the big games are inbound in 2022, but still we've seen some exciting action already in the first few games. The North American teams are stacked from top to bottom as always, while the big three from Europe compete with these two giants for the top spots in the tournament. From this year's draft, 8 out of 10 first round selections are participating, and of course some big names from next few drafts are present in the tournament as well, and are most likely going to turn some heads during the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to go too much into details of each team, but more so I want to point out probably the most noteworthy players on each team that you should pay some attention to. As this episode comes out, most of the teams have already played a couple of games, so you might notice certain names appearing in the score sheets, but I feel like this is a must episode to do since I'm such a nerd when it comes to future prospects. But with that preparation... I think we should move to see which names I think are going to be the blue chip prospects that you should pay closer attention to. Starting off with the not as stacked lineups of Austria, Slovakia, Switzerland, Germany and Czech Republic. These teams don't have as many names as the rest, so I think I won't waste too much time going through these teams that are either collectively going to struggle or surprise us with one or two close games with the Giants. So far though, it hasn't looked that way, and the top tier teams are strolling through competition, and you can say that once the elimination games begin in the start of 22, we are bound to see some exciting junior hockey. Unfortunately though, as I somewhat feared, we've seen our first positive cases within the teams, 
So the question will be if we will have a full tournament or do they arrange some kind of special setting for the rest of the competition. Hopefully we can have as clean competition as possible but I have my worries, there's no questions about it. I already tweeted a couple of days ago when the news started to spread about the forfeits for the team USA, Russia and Czech Republic that it was becoming somewhat of a joke since no one probably saw this happening with the way things had escalated in the AHL and the NHL with the protocols, sarcastically speaking, of course. To me it was only a matter of time once we had the first cases but man was it frustrating to hear that the things had gone sideways even though it was somewhat expected. Like the women's U18 tournament got cancelled because of this exact fact so how the IIHF thought that it was going to fly in any other country either and what the actual f*** was the plan for preventing this to happen or to deal with these problems. Because to me it seems as these are reactive measures rather than anticipated ones since unlike the NHL season this tournament only lasts about three weeks so did you plan on flying out a taxi squad for each team or do you quarantine the entire team for 10 days after the first game? Just doesn't make any sense to me. And if the decision on the women's U18 tournament could be done pretty swiftly, did they even think about the situation concerning this tournament? Because if I remember correctly, right at the start of December, the C cases grew rapidly in the NHL, so was the cancellation even considered on their behalf? It just baffles me how this ended up becoming such a tire fire. And we most likely haven't even seen the end of it yet. And the worst case scenario would be to postpone the whole tournament now that it is already underway. Because it could have been done prematurely. And now that the Olympic break is available, could have you considered, for example, that time frame? Regardless, I think I made my view pretty clear on this topic. And it is just extremely frustrating to see this happening. As for many fans, this is one of the best times of the hockey season and it seems to fall apart very quickly right in front of our eyes. But now that I've gotten that out of the way, I feel ready to jump into the roster, so let's start from the bottom and work our way towards the top fairly quickly, team by team. Even before the tournament started, the participation trophy was given to the Austrians since... Unfortunately, they don't have any chance of winning more than one game in this tournament if you don't count out the forfeits and in this competition, they don't have anything to lose and that's the good thing. Marco Kasper is the clear-cut stud in the roster and so far his skill set has been pretty well smothered as none of his line mates really provide any assistance for him and he has looked pretty frustrated on the ice to say the least. He knows that everyone counts on him to bring the offense, but you know that even for David Blaine, it would be hard to turn shit into gold out of nothing, to put it in a perspective. And I'm sorry if there are any Austrian fans, but that's just the case, plain and simple. It might be a complete feel-good experience for most of the guys on that lineup, but who am I to say anything, since at that age I was probably even bigger bender than any of them, so... I think I've said all for now. But as the last quote, I just want to say that it's frustrating to see Kasper not being able to showcase his skills as he is probably the biggest Austrian prospect coming out of the draft since Marco Rossi but this hopefully will be a teaching experience for him on the large scale. He is still a very highly touted prospect and this tournament probably won't hinder his draft stock too much because you can clearly see the lack of support alongside him and on any other level he's been able to make an impression so I wouldn't sweat too much about it. On to their dear neighbor, the Switzerland. Contrary to Austrians, the Swiss don't have as highly touted prospects as Kasper but have few somewhat intriguing prospects in their lineup led by big defenseman Leon Bichel out of Lexans who has 12 games in the SHL this season. Brian Zanetti is the only player on their squad who has been drafted to the NHL so far, as the Flyers took him in the fourth round last summer, but 
Other notable names include undrafted Noah Delamont and Lorenzo Canonica. Especially Delamont has been a head scratcher for me during the past two years since he was somewhat highly touted prospect in the region coming into this draft year. But for some reason, this small-sized smooth-gating blue liner has never heard his name getting called during the draft and now he tries to impress and push himself back to the draft boards as an overager. Canonica was also expected to be drafted last summer, but this playmaking center was passed upon as well last July and hopes to see his name appear on the draft boards coming the next summer. Canonica especially is a player to look out for since he has been racking solid numbers in the queue this past year and should be one of the leading names on the roster when it comes to offensive capability. Other than those guys, pretty average squad as I said, and for sure missing the likes of Nico Hishier, Filip Kurashev and Timo Meyer from up top. They are most likely going to battle against Slovakia for the last playoff spot in the group B, but like said, at this point anything can happen, so don't count out the gold medal if they stay healthy. Next up we have Germany. Once again, not many recognizable names on the roster, but collectively competitive team with few standout names. These are Kane's pick, goaltender Nikita Kwap, Oilers pick Luka Münzenberger, and forward Florian Eliash. Kwap was the sixth round pick, so you could say that he is a wild card when it comes to his NHL projection, but Münzenberger out of these three has the biggest potential without questions. D-man fitted with solid frame, good passing skills and strong skating has been their defensive quarterback so far and has registered most minutes out of their lineup. Florian Eliash, on the other hand was another prospect who was skipped in this year's draft but the undersized forward has few attributes that are very enticing especially when competing against his age group. But like I said not very stacked lineup when it comes to big names but solid group overall and with good goaltending, good custom harm for the bigger nations. Then we arrive to Slovakia's lineup, which has some recognizable names from the past draft, as well as some future names that should be tattooed on your forearm for a later date. Already drafted names, Samuel Nasko, third round pick by Columbus, Jakub Demek, who has been killing it in the dub, was Vegas's fourth round choice, and so far, their number one point getter, Martin Hromiak, LA's fifth round selection from Kingston, who as well has been lights out in the OHL this year. But when it comes to their future top names in the tournament, let me say that the successors to Marian Hossa, Marian Gabarik, and Geno Jara are inbound, because here are some names that you should write down to your diaries. Starting off with their demon, Simon Nemec. Projected top 15 pick in 2022, followed by Juraj Slavkovsky, aka Slovakian Jager, same draft, projected top 10 pick. Filip Mesar, same thing, but projection is somewhere around the late first round. And lastly, Servaj Petrovsky, not projected, but could be mid to late draft pick with solid season in the OHL. So tell me. When was the last time you've seen as many highly touted Slovakian talents in the same draft class? Yeah, I don't recall either, so no worries, your memory is probably just fine. And as a cherry on top, do not forget the 16-year-old phenom I told you about in the Prospects episode. Dalibor Dvorsky is still on his way as well, and you can recognize him from their squad rocking number 15, with Cage, so you most likely can't miss him. He's probably the most highly touted prospect out of Slovakia since Marian Gabarik, so you should be excited about him, but since they don't play in the same group as Finland, I don't get to see him play as much as I would like to. But I just have to hope that Slovakia makes it to the playoff rounds and faces the first seed Finland in the first round, so I get to see him play live against my young Lions. Bring it on Canadians, you heard me. But yeah, the Slovaks have underperformed so far, but there ain't no easy games in that group either, so whoever ends up winning that game will most likely advance to the next stage. 
lots of potential in their ranks, so hopefully they get to showcase their skills and take the team to the next round. But we'll see if their goaltending is able to keep them afloat against the Swiss. And the last team before we head to the Big Five is the Czech Republic squad. And the roster is much more represented from the NHL perspective than the others so far on this list. But the top names, unfortunately, don't quite match the level of the big nations. Goaltending is their strong suit, as their crease is operated by Red Wings pick Jan Bednar and Devils pick Jakub Malek. In defense, they have Chicago selection Mihail Krutil, Blue Jackets pick Stanislav Swozil, who scored a beautiful goal against the Swedes a couple days ago. And finally, this year's projected top 15 pick, right-handed defenseman David Jerecek, who unfortunately got injured and will be sidelined for the remainder of the tournament, which will be a big gut punch for the Czech team. In offense, their big-time names are Vegas's pick Jakub Drabenec, Sabres pick Jakub Konechny, Panthers selection Jakub Kosh, Wilds pick Pavel Novak, CBJ's selection Martin Rizavi, and their number one gun in offense is Canadians pick their captain Jan Mishak. Also, add to that forward Yuri Kulic, who is projected to go somewhere around the first to second round next summer, and you have somewhat deep lineup of promising Czech prospects on the team. The trio of Novak, Svozil and Misak, in addition to goaltender Jan Bednar, are the stars of this team and they could caution problems to bigger teams, as one could expect at this point. Juricek's loss was a big one for the team without a doubt, so we'll see if their defense can hold off the firepower of the other teams, but I would assume that they make it to the next round if nothing drastic happens. Keep an eye out for those three guys and don't forget the factor in goal named Bednarkus. He could stand on his head and win one game for the Czechs either in the group stages or in the playoff rounds. But then we head to the big five where we are going to start off with the Russians who don't have absolutely stacked lineup but hold few big gems in their lineup. The big names here are Yaroslav Askarov, first round pick by the Brits, Matmei Michkov, 2023 top prospects alongside his Canadian counterpart, and Danila Yurov, projected top 10 pick in next year's draft. They are supported by Shakir Muhammadulin, Kirill Kirsanov, Nikita Shibrikov, Marat Kuznutinov, Vasily Ponomarev, and Fyodor Svechkov. So you could say that they have some decent names in their roster. Michkov has showed his prowess in the first couple of games and the overall skill level has showed from the Russian squad even though they haven't had as solid start to the tournament as they might have anticipated. If Askarov turns up and Michkov dangles through five defenders each night and scores over three points per game, the Russians could challenge for the medals, but as long as they struggle with scoring and defense stays somewhat lackluster, their hopes and dreams of finding their way to the finals is far away from reality, especially when you compare their roster to the rest of the top five. They seem to be missing something currently, so if they can't find that something, they could be a dangerous opponent to face, especially with that goaltending, but until then, you could count them out from the semis. Next up, the Swedes, and now we start to get to the stacked lineup range. In goal, Jesper Wallstead, most likely the best goaltender in the tournament, backed up by Kalei Klang. Yeah, good luck scoring. In defense, Emil Andre, Simon Edvinson, Helge Granz, Leo Luf, and Anton Olsson. Heard of puck moving? and skating ability mixed with some toughness. Well, that's exactly what these guys bring. And then in offense, we have names such as William Eklund, Alexander Holtz, Fabian Lissell, Theo Niederbach, Sion Nybeck, Oskar Olausson, and Isaac Rosen. You get the hype. Two of these guys played NHL hockey already this season, and when it comes to the rest of the bunch, you don't want to overlook these guys. Like I said, Wallstead might be the best goalie in the tournament, 
Simon Edvinson has an elite tool set for a modern defenseman, and triple threat Eklund, Holtz, and Olausen is just dangerous every time they touch the ice. Alongside Canadians, this will be the team to keep a close eye on, and I have a feeling that we will see this team in the finals, and I wouldn't question that statement. Of course, it will be a coin flip when we enter the later stages of the tournament on deciding the winners, but Team Scalibur shouts finals at least for me. Solid two-way team with extreme amount of skill will be my finals candidate without a doubt. We'll see though how far they can go, but if you ask me, this is one of the strongest teams on paper they've assembled in the 21st century. You just have to prove me wrong. After the Swedes, we have the Americans who unfortunately suffered a defeat against the Swiss when two of their players tested positive for the virus. This wasn't news they were expecting since from the get-go, at least to me, they haven't been favorites to win this tournament because when you see their squad from last year, you notice the clear drop-off from overall talent level. And don't get me wrong, they still have good players on their lineup, but last year's roster was just one of the strongest we've seen from them during the past 20 years. This year though, the roster has been a slight downgrade but still holds some intriguing names within the 25-man roster. In goal, they have Chicago's big Drew Comesso. In defense, their studs are Luke Hughes and Jake Sanderson, supported by strong presence of Brock Faber, Tyler Cleven, Scott Morrow and Jack Pert. And the offense, as you could probably guess, is their biggest asset, with names like Matty Beniers, Logan Cooley, Matt Coronado, Matthew Nice, Chess Lucius, Shashapash Dujov, and Maki Samoskevich. Strong squad all around as you would anticipate, and without a doubt, if the team is able to play games, will fight for the medals in this year's tournament. But somehow, I just doubt their potential, and for sure, their current situation doesn't really benefit them whatsoever, so we'll see how the tournament goes for the last year's champs. At best, finals, but really rough road ahead if there's any leeway from their health standpoint. Look out for Hughes, Beniers, Sanders and Cooley. I will leave the probable champion as the last team of this walkthrough, so I think it's wise to check what the Canadians have on offer at this time of the year. I'm just kidding, bud. You really think that someone can beat these guys? Like, have you seen their offensive firepower? And what about their defense? Plus, they have goddamn Chara in goal for God's sakes. As a matter of fact, they should forfeit the whole tournament if their goal difference is anything south of plus 25 at the end of it. Like seriously, this team is a complete joke in this tournament. In goal, Ben Bishop Jr. aka Sebastian Kosha. In defense, Teslas, Lucas Cormier and Olin Selweger. Alongside, Caden Gooley, Carson Lambos, Ryan O'Rourke and none other than the first overall pick, Owen Power. Who by the way became the first Canadian defenseman ever to record a hat-trick in the World Juniors. Not a big deal. And add to that, casual first-round names such as Xavier Burgo, Maverick Borg, Ridley Gregg, Dylan Genther, Ken Johnson, Mason McTavish, Jake Neighbors, Colbert Freddy, and possible future number one picks, Shane Wright and Connor Bedard. I told you. It's a goddamn joke. And to be honest, I couldn't name their entire squad, but I think I got my message through even with these names. And did I even mention that they had the audacity to leave Hendrix Lapierre, Luke Evangelista and Vincent Orio out of their lineup? Six squad, what else can you say? And while players like Genther, Johnson, McTavish, Neighbors and Perfetti are the leading forces up front, Shane Wright and especially Connor Bedard are the ones you need to pay close attention to. 
Wright will most likely be the number one selection next summer, but the rivalry between generational talents Michkov and Bedard will most likely become the new Ovi versus Sid rivalry in the future. They've been breaking records one after the other, and if you want some comparisons from the past, Sid at his age had four points in the tournament, while Bedard currently has recorded humble four goals in two games, and add to that one assist to go along. And yeah, also, last time a 16-year-old recorded a hat-trick in the U20 World Championships, was in 1977 when a nobody named Wayne the Great One Gretzky achieved that same accomplishment. So if that's anything to go by, Bedard could become a pretty decent player to say the least. He's without a doubt the most highly touted Canadian prospect since Connor McDavid. So if he reaches his ceiling, you can imagine what kind of company he would end up in. So to put it into words... The 2023 draft could become one of the most memorable ones in the 21st century when it comes to top-tier talents. But nevertheless, the Canadian team is stacked from top to bottom and nothing else than the gold medal is accepted from this squad going forward. No ifs or buts about it. But let's move on to our last team of this episode, the Young Lions. The Finnish squad ain't quite up to Canadian standards, but holds their own with the top-tier talents. In goal, they have two second-round picks in Joel Blomqvist and Levi Merilainen, who will most likely be their starter. In defense, they have last year's top defenseman Topi Niemela leading the way, alongside Kane's pick Alexis Heimosalmi and Detroit's pick Emil Viro as the standouts. Their forward group consists of decent mixture of two-way capability and skill as the notable players from their upfront presence are LA's pick Samuel Helenius, Leafs pick and captain Ronny Hirvonen, Sens pick Robi Järventie, Habs pick Oliver Kapanen, Kane's pick Ville Koivunen and last but not least another Kings pick Kasper Simon Taival. In addition to those guys, the two players that are under the microscope are next summer's top prospects, Brad Lambert and Joachim Kemel. So far, Niemela and Viro have been their workhorses in defense, as expected, and the second line of Koivun and Helenius and Lambert has been one of the best in the tournament, while Kemel is still trying to find his footing. At the same time, Finland's first line of Hirvonen, Matta and Simon Taival is still searching for more points, but there's no doubt that these guys wouldn't perform as they are expected to. Aturatu most likely would have been placed in as the first line center, but since his participation was prohibited, they had to go with Matta, but we'll see how well he does in the first line, or do they try to find another suitor to their first line. He was the only big loss from the team since he has picked up his game during the last couple of months. So he would have been a healthy addition to their solid roster. But the IIHF decided that it's more beneficial to cancel games than to let recovered players participate to the tournament. So another huge L for the IIHF. Nevertheless, I'm expecting a strong tournament from this roster. And in my mind, with strong performances, they should without a doubt fight for the final spot against Sweden, Russia and United States. So as we always do, I'ma let you know my predictions on the tournament if we ever get to see the end of it, because you know we might see Germany facing Austria in the finals with the way things have been going during the past few days. Putting that aside, these would have been my predictions on the tournament without any sea shit extravaganza. The top four consists of Canada, Finland, Sweden and the USA. Final will be Sweden versus Canada. And as you can probably expect, Canada will win the gold medal. Top goalie of the tournament, hands down, Jesper Wallstead. Top defenseman, Owen Power. Simon Edvinson was the other player I was thinking about, but my god, Power has been lights out so far, and I wanted to include at least some variation to this. 
top forward before the tournament I was going to go with either Shane Wright or Matty Beniers but this time I have to go with another Swede William Eklund but the final all-star team will be Wallstead, Edvinson, Power, Perfetti, Eklund and Brad Lambert those are my predictions on the tournament so hopefully I get at least one or two of these right and we will see the champions getting crowned at the end of it since currently it isn't looking very bright as more and more teams are entering quarantines as we speak. We've already witnessed the excitement these youngsters bring so hopefully we will have even more in store for us once we hit the elimination stage of this competition. I don't have much else to say at this point because, like I said, I've been enjoying this tournament with all of my heart and the situation in the NHL currently is a total mess, so this brings a balancing aspect to my internal hockey stability. For me, this is probably the best time of the year if you count out the NHL playoffs as I get to watch these young phenoms on a worldwide stage against the best of the best in those age groups. Hope you had relaxing Christmas holiday and more than anything I hope that you have an awesome start for the new year. My only promise will be that I will keep chugging along and keep bringing you content on a weekly basis since now that the life has somewhat sorted itself out a bit more I hope to have more time to bring you the best possible content on a regular basis. Let me know all your ideas for the new year since you are a big part of this all and I truly want to make content that you enjoy each week. And if you could be so kind and make my year even better now that the Spotify finally has its own rating system, could you please leave a rating on this podcast? It will help tremendously since if you know anything about the algorithms, You can probably guess that more reviews will mean larger spread, which I hope to achieve in 2022. So as the last ask from you this year, please leave a rating on this podcast if you are listening it on Spotify. Or even if you aren't, go click the five stars to end the year on a good note. I thank you already in advance. You are my hero. Nevertheless, I wish you Happy New Year with all of my heart and hope that you enjoyed the last episode of the year 2021. Hopefully, even bigger things are in the horizon for the year 2022 for both of us. So let's make it ours. Have an awesome ending to the year and as always, stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. All right.